Hello guys and welcome back to Mommy Jojo Uncut Mojo Injection episode 23. I am really kind of blown away by this episode actually. I listened back to it and just felt this overwhelming sense of emotion really and just how much this is going to potentially help people. The power of the words that we use and the complete raw open honesty from my friend Gemma who's a very successful food blogger over at Feeding Little Ones and a lot of you won't know her story but when you do and when you realise why she's so passionate about food and why she puts so much love into it, it all kind of clicks and it's been fascinating getting to know Gemma. It was a real pleasure to have her at my book launch and just to really get to know such a gentle soul who is so good in the kitchen, such a lovely mom and wife and person and friend and she has so, so much to offer this week from postnatal anxiety to the taboo um, of trying to get on well with the mother-in-law and I know so many of us struggle with that relationship and we try and do our best and it's hard because moms and their sons can be absolute whoa I mean there's a whole episode about this but it's constantly something that comes up and I get feedback about and of course a relationship with food eating disorders and getting that healthy balance with food and Gemma's really using food in a positive way now but in the past she's really struggled and something that really really comes to me from this episode is when we put so much emphasis on our looks because we feel it defines us and at one point in her life Gemma felt that because she's such a babe it defined her so when she had a someone say some really really negative words about her because of the way she looked it really impacted her mental health and it's so powerful I don't want to say much more I want to leave it at that and I want to leave you to Gemma's soothing wisdom and guided by myself counsellor mommy Jojo um Mojo Jojo just helping Gemma chat and just so proud of her for sharing so much guys enjoy tonight enjoy this free therapy and um, I hope it resonates with you I hope it helps someone and perhaps if you know someone that could hear it please pass it on that's what it's all about passing on mojo injections to make the world a better place so Gemma you can hook her up at feeding little ones and I am very proud to know this beautiful lovely person Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Now I've introduced you so everyone knows what you do. It's great to have you here. Love your Insta page. Thank you so much. Love what you're doing with that. Um, It looks so pretty. Oh, I try. try. (laughs) And you are, I want to come and eat at your house. Anytime. (laughs) You and the kids have to come. (laughs) What's your favourite dish scoop? Oh, it's a difficult one. Um, at the moment, I'm loving cooking Asian food. Oh, Anything nice. Asian, I just absolutely love it. Like lemongrass and chilli yeah. and things like that. It's amazing. Do you keep the seeds in? Uh, no. For the girls, I usually take them out. Yeah. But if it was just me and the cardo, then I'd keep them in. Oh, yummy, yummy. Like it's spicy. I love spicy food. Um, and it was only recently I got to know your story about your passion for cooking and yeah. why you started it's actually beautiful when you, you explained it to me I had like goose pimples just thought that is magical so let's go back to where it all began talk us through 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite a long story, so I'll try not to make it too long. But um, I suppose it, my kind of love of food all started um, when I was really, really young. I can remember always wanting to watch cooking programmes when I was really little. Wow. And um, I sort of grew up in a bit of a war zone. Things were quite hairy when I was younger. Um, but through that, I always just had this kind of vision that I would do something to do with food. Yeah. Um, and it's taken me on up until now to sort of be able to do that. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you so when you think back, you, when you were watching these cooking programs, yeah. do you think it relaxed you or? Yeah, definitely. I think I've always been really relaxed watching things about food and learning about. How, where things come from and what they do for our bodies and I think it's I'm much more interested in that now than I used to be but it's sort of always been a dream to do something to do with food mm-hmm. um but as a teenager I actually had quite a severe eating disorder okay. um which has you know been quite a battle to get through that uh-huh. and now I absolutely love food and instead of kind of using it to punish my body, use it to nourish my body, but it's been a bit of a journey to sort of get there. To flip that around. Yeah, definitely. Because there's all kinds, I mean, with eating disorders and I've explored it quite a lot over the past few years, there's all types. So some people form an addiction with food and some do it as a kind of, as you say, punishment. I think mine was mostly a control thing. It was couldn't really control anything else in my life so I used food as a method of control. Right, okay, um, Everything else was kind of kind of breaking around me so food was the one thing that I could control Yeah. and I used that to control everything really. Okay, and how long did that go on for? Um, probably started when I was around 11 okay. and when until I was about 18 I would say. Right. That's a lot for you to put yourself through. Yeah, it was. It was quite. Obviously, there was periods where it was a lot worse, and then periods where it was it was okay, it was manageable. Yeah. Um, and I've not really spoken about it. I mean, none of my family really know that I had the eating disorder that badly. I hid it really, really well. Okay. Um, I remember going to my grandparents' house, who was sort of like they were like my little sanctuary when I was younger, and I used to love going. I'd go every week. And it was sort of the highlight of my week because I knew it would be like my safe place and I was really happy there. But I would panic so much before I would go about what she was going to cook. Mm. And I would think about how much butter she was going to put in the mashed potato, what that was going to do to my body. Um, and often I would go home and make myself sick after I'd been there. Sure. But I wanted to go so much that you know I would just still go and try and pretend I was enjoying it. Oh, what a shame! Oh, that's tough. I mean, because food is just such a a pleasure, but it t- completely can be. Yeah, it completely can be. And I think that's why through my page, I'm, I hopefully promote quite a positive message with food, and mm-hmm. I'd love my girls to have a really positive relationship, relationship with food. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think with food, it's a tricky one because you can actually have a whole chapter, chapter 10, me writing a letter to food and food writing back to me and I've explored it. But I think with food, it's something, it's one of those you you have to eat every day. So it's not like you can just, 
it's not like alcohol or gambling or a mobile phone use where you can put Definitely. it away. So it's always there. So it's it's a journey to getting to a place where you're comfortable with your relationship with food. Yeah, 100%. So you've turned it around. You've made it a really, really positive. Yeah, and now I'd love that to sort of be what I, what I do is, yeah. is food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing if you think of you as a child and, and things were tough and you were enjoying, you know, your sanctuary was tuning into the cooking programs and stuff yeah. and now you've turned up around and you've created a really positive environment which is amazing it's inspirational for so oh, many people it's been it has been a, it has been a really big it has been a big journey and as i said it, it's been that was something that i could control because as i said everything else was sort of breaking mm-hmm. um and that's been part of sort of my mental health journey is turning that around yeah. um, as well as the eating disorder I've suffered from anxiety, depression um, I've self-harmed um, I've tried to commit suicide a couple of times yeah. um, but the eating disorder throughout, even though all of that sounds quite intense eating disorder was the, the thing that lasted the longest time mm-hmm. okay so that was the I mean, with mental health, and there's so many different issues, it sounds like you've had it pretty tough. Oh, my dear. And to do what you're doing now, having been what you've been through, is amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's hard for me to think that it is. Because yeah. um, I'm still very much a battle with my mental health every day. Yeah. Um, I definitely have good days, more bad days than good days, but things are definitely getting better. Yeah. I mean, it's great that you're able to talk about it. I think it's really important to talk about it if you feel that you can. Yeah. If you get to a place where you feel you can talk about it, I think it's incredibly important. And there's so many people like your wonderful self who are talking about it openly. And if we don't talk about it, other people don't know that there are other people going through it as well. Yeah. And, and I know what you, you, you're saying. Not everyone is ready to talk about yeah. it. And they certainly, when I say talk, it could just be confined to one person. I'm not saying... You have to stand on a box and show everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, just talking and sharing. Yeah. I've not met one person that said it didn't help them, but it's it, to talk is so, so hard. I can understand that. So would you say there was a period in your life where you just couldn't talk? A long, long time. I mean, it's, it has taken me until really now to talk openly about it, but I didn't really ever open up about it until a couple of years ago so growing up um, as I said it was sort of like a war zone my parents went through a really messy divorce Mm -hmm. which a lot of people have been through Mm -hmm. Um, lots of sort of different types of abuse were present and at eight I've seen a lot of things I probably shouldn't have and I grew up quite quickly Um, and I just found myself really hating myself and I just didn't want to be here yeah. as long as I can remember probably from about nine I just had these constant thoughts that I wasn't worthy to kind of be alive yeah. I just didn't want to be here anymore um, and I think th- that was the start of sort of my mental health journey and at nine obviously you don't have a clue yeah. what is going on and I didn't have anybody really to talk to about it my mum was 
sort of busy dealing with the after effects of her divorce and my dad I didn't see for a couple of years after that um grandparents I think you don't even want to tell your grandparents do you because you know they're your grandparents you don't want to worry them I think even at nine I, at nine ten I, I remember thinking oh, I don't want to upset anybody so I just kind of kept everything to myself um and I think that sort of negatively impacted my mental health and it pushed me further and further down. Yeah. And then when I was about, it's difficult to remember, about 10, 11, that's when I started self-harming. Again, I think that was a way of controlling things that was, that was going on. I think so many children, um, you know, I hear about now that they use self-harm as a way to control things. Okay. And then that was when the food sort of came into it because the, I was self-harming and people were starting to notice. Right, so you could So I stopped the self-harming okay. because people at school were noticing it, my teachers okay. were noticing it. Stopped that. So did your teachers tell your family or...? I, I, don't, I, I don't actually know. I think perhaps one of my teachers has maybe tried to tell my mum, but my mum's a good person, but she'll openly admit she's not been the best mum. Okay. So I think even if somebody had told her, I don't think she would have really done anything about it. She was in a very difficult place mentally herself. Yeah. She she wasn't in a place where she could really be a mum and care for other other two other people. I've got a younger brother as well. Yeah. Um. So I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure if anyone had told told her. Mm. So I stopped the, the self harm, and then I started with food to control everything. Okay. So I would hide food, I would make myself sick, I would it would I'd just use that as a way of controlling things. And it's it's crazy common, you know, we've seen the oh, stats. So common. So common. So, so common. And there'll be a lot of people tuning in that we won't know about to this. And what I would say is what advice would you give to them or what advice would you give to your younger self? I think I wish I'd been able to speak to someone. I wish I'd had the courage to just tell someone, you know, whoever it was. It could have been, you know, a teacher or just said the words, you know, I'm struggling with food. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, it's, it's hard to find the words to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you're worried about being judged. And I think advice I would give is that it's always going to be better to say something than nothing. Uh-huh. And if you do feel like you can speak to somebody, then please do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I guess the fear that would stop you would be, yeah, as you say, being judged or how someone would react. Yes, definitely. And I think as well, because that was my method of controlling everything, if I had had to stop that... I'd, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to control everything. Yeah. Because yeah. everything else just felt like a hurricane around me. That yeah. was like my one little thing that I had to control. Yeah. So how did you come out of that? What was your... Oh, it was like a, lo- a long, really heavy few years after that. Um, so when I was 11... Um, my my mum had decided that she didn't want me to live with her anymore okay. so she'd asked me to move out um, and I'd gone to live with my dad who as much as he tried he, he's a nice enough man he just doesn't know how to be a dad okay. and we have an okay relationship now um, 
but he, he was really busy with work, he wasn't really there a lot, so I had very much free reign of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of things that I shouldn't have done at that age, and it really scares me now having two girls yeah, <laughs> and okay. thinking the things that I did when I was 11. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I could go to a house party every night for five nights and you know, nobody would know where I was and nobody was really bothered. Okay. Um, Which is going to make your mental health worse as well. Definitely. I was drinking really young age. Um, I, you know, I started going out into town when I was 13, 14. You know, now I seem so, so young, but at the time I just thought I was so grown up. Yeah. You do, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and throughout that time, obviously, my relationship with food was, was really bad because I wasn't, nobody was really cooking for me. And um, I mean, my dad would cook the odd meal. It wasn't like he was just never ever there. Uh-huh. But it wasn't like we sat down at the table together and had, you know, had a family meal. Um, he was working a lot. So I, a lot of time I just kind of had to fend for myself, which meant I could not eat a lot. Yeah, okay. Um, so by this point, I was absolutely tiny. It was at least half the size, size I am now, if not smaller. Yeah. Um, and I was doing modelling at the time, and I was about 12, 13. So that made it a lot worse, because yeah. obviously in that industry you're, you're told to be tiny, and going to castings and things is difficult because they would say, oh, your hips are too big. So that kind of made the eating disorder a lot worse. Yeah. And they will actually come out and say that to you. Or all sorts. You know, your forehead's too big, your nose is too big, your ears are too big, your teeth are squint. Who says it? So when you go for a cast and whoever the the people are that want to cast you for their job, it would be them that would kind of say... Would they say that to your face? Oh, yeah. That's, that blows my mind. I don't... I, I just don't get it. So I think at that point... I thought my whole entire worth as a human being was what I looked like. Wow. So f- I was absolutely obsessed with what I looked like. Mm-hmm. Completely obsessed. Through the food and kind of at that point then I was obviously using makeup and doing my hair and things like that as a teenager. I was just completely obsessed. I didn't think that I had any worth in my head or that I was going to do anything else than other than what I looked like. Right. And I'd, people that knew me at that time would say to you that I was just this awful, selfish, horrible teenager. Okay. And I really wasn't a nice person at all. I really, really wasn't a nice person. So, um... But you were obviously a very fragile... Very. ...who'd had a really tough time. Yeah. So, because I often say, you know, if someone's been an asshole... Do they just need love all the more? No, 100%. I think I think that now of people a lot. Does it make you more sympathetic to someone that's been a dick? (laughs) I would like to say it does, but sometimes not. It it depends. It depends on the severity of how much they're being a dick. Yeah, and every situation's so different, isn't it? Now, I think because I went on to work with children, if I see children that are acting out and acting in ways that I did, I know it's because they need some support. Uh-huh. Okay. But I think once you once you do reach adulthood, it's slightly different. Okay. But so I think you have if, a choice. You yeah, mean. because then you have a choice. But children that that act out and do things that, um, you know, that they shouldn't do, 
there's something underlying, you know, usually being so given extra support. Yeah, is it giving you a real compassion for kids? Oh, yeah, 100%. You just must feel so much love, you know, to think of yourself as a child. You just probably want to pour love on them. Just on all children. Yeah. I I just love children. I think that's why I went into working with children, because I kind of wanted to fix all the children that, you know, I could see myself in other people's children if that makes sense it doesn't sound so weird no no, it does not at all honestly it's it all makes so much sense as to where you've got to where you've been and even seeing you with my own kids it was just amazing we went for christmas dinner and stuff you're just a natural so um i mean you've got your kids are very lucky um so what so you had counseling to get over yeah so i've had a lot of counseling um when i was 14 things had kind of got really really bad um i was going out all the time just constantly drinking way too much um i had been drugged at that point and um I, somebody attempted to rape me. I was attacked. Um, and after that, I, t- I tried to tell somebody about it at school. And they said, things like that just happen to girls that look like you. Oh. And that was when I thought, I can't be here anymore. So that that was the first time I was 14. That was the first time I tried to commit suicide. Because in your head, your looks were your value yeah. at that time and then someone saying to you people that look like you have bad things happen to yeah, them completely. so any value you had was just gone yeah. so you, you thought right get me out of here completely 100% oh my goodness um thankfully thankfully now it didn't work and I thought but I've kind of just got to plow through with this but I thought about committing suicide all the time, just constantly for the next couple of years, um, and things were just really not very nice. I don't really have any nice memories of that time. Did I, you have? Did you find any pockets of happiness? My grandparents. Okay. They were just like my absolute savior. They would, when things got really bad, they would take me, and I would stay at their house for a few months, and things would feel better. Okay. Um, I'd got so tiny from the eating disorder that I'd started to fit. So I would have multiple fits a day, um, which now I've spoken to a doctor, they said it was actually anxiety was getting so severe that my body would make me pass out to kind of help myself to cope with it. But at the time, nobody knew what it was. I didn't even know what anxiety was. Nobody had ever mentioned it before. Yeah. I genuinely just thought I was going crazy. Um, anxiety makes you feel that yeah, way yeah completely and, and I think nuts. if you don't understand what's happening to you it can feel worse um, so because I was fitting so much I'd been told to, to leave school because I was so much of a disruption um, and do you know I think so This at this point I think I was 15 Um. So my grandparents were a massive support at that time. They were they were really big they were really really big support, um, and I think that's what pulled me out of it. Okay. I also started dating 
um, a boy from school whose family were just lovely. Aww. They were so lovely and he was a really nice guy and we went out for five years Aww. and he put up with a lot from me and my mental health. Um, I remember once we went on holiday to Gran Canaria and I was on a balcony and I was just screaming like what's the point of me being here do you know I don't want to be here anymore I'm going to jump off his balcony just you know crazy things and now looking back at just the poor guy <laughs> he must have just been like who is this girl and what is she doing but I mean it's an age an age thing as well because we start to talk more openly about mental health and we're more equipped to talk about it in ways because the older we get, I, I find anyway, this is my experience, I find it easier to talk about things. Yes. Um, when you're a teenager, they say you're kind of psycho oh, with all the hormones. I was it. definitely psycho. <laughs> um, and I feel so sorry for the poor guy. So we broke up when I was 20, um, thankfully for him. <laughs> but he was... And, I don't know if I ever saw him, I'd probably say this to him, sort of like my safe place as well as my grandparents because he was something completely out of everything from family life. Yeah. He had a lovely, secure family network at home. Yeah. There's a mum and dad who were together, he had two sisters who were lovely, mm-hmm. and I used to go around his house for tea and just think, you know, this is really lovely. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think if I hadn't have had that, and I hadn't had my grandparents, I definitely wouldn't be here now. Yeah. It, it seems, it, it blows my mind, you know, meet so many different people all the time and some come from very stable families, Not ne- doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to struggle mentally, yeah, of, of course, but um, it, it just does make me realise how lucky, like my parents, you know, they've had a tough life in ways, dad last, lost his eyesight when he's 19 and stuff, but it does make me feel like, yeah, I'm very lucky that I had a family that fed me and, you know, just were there. And it's it can be easy to say that for granted and sometimes just remembering that, actually. I, I think it can, but I also think that when it comes to mental health, sometimes people that have broken families compare themselves to people that that had a secure family uh-huh. and I think a lot of people that have secure families often feel like they shouldn't have mental health issues yes, yes. which I which think you know that's not not fair at all uh-huh. mental health doesn't choose who it affects yeah exactly yeah and I think it's really important you know you could have everything that you might want in life mm-hmm. and you could still really really struggle yeah and you know you shouldn't beat yourself up for that at all because it's your own mental health journey mm-hmm. you, you don't need to compare yourself which is hard, which is hard oh it's so hard to not compare we all do it um but no so so the counseling helped you a bit yeah sorry so so I'd, yeah my gran used to take me to an appointment every friday in town it was a street off george street and i'd go every friday and the poor the poor counselor was actually a horrible to her. I remember she said to me at one point, you know, I'm actually going through a divorce right now and I was just screaming at her and it really wasn't a very nice child at this point. Um, How old were you then? I started going every Friday when I was 12 and I went to a few different psychologists until I was about 19. Mm-hmm. I went to an eating disorder support group as well um, and do you know, I think I just wasn't mature enough to understand that it was going to help me. 
Yeah. So I, I fought against it. Because you felt, did you feel we were, what, what was it you didn't I, I like think, about them? I think I felt like they were trying to tell me that I was crazy. And you, did you not want to accept? No, not at all. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're all crazy. We've all got a mind, so we're all... We'll <laughs> never get cocky, but we've all got a crazy side. Um, so that, can you think, thinking back, and there'll be a lot of parents tuning in as well who are struggling with the teenagers, yes, they get messages yes. most days, yes. can you give advice, can you help? Um, what would you say to the parents that are taking their kids to counselling and... I think first of all, if you're taking your child to counselling, then well done. You know you're doing a, you're doing a great thing. You're being supportive. You know that's fantastic. My, my mum wasn't there to do that, so I think if you're getting in the car and taking your child to counselling, then you've already understood that there's an issue there, and you're trying to be supportive. So that's fantastic. I think just trying to be there to really really listen, and I think listening's a very broad word you know you can listen and then you can really listen and look behind what they're actually trying to tell you so maybe when they're kicking off and screaming and saying that they hate you they don't Uh you know that's them saying you know I really love you and for them to be able to to scream like that at you must mean that they feel safe around you yeah you know because teenagers don't externalise to people that they don't feel safe with. Yeah, yeah. So I think just kind of knowing that it will you you know, it will ride out and just being there for them. Yeah. It will ride out. Yeah, it will. And I think it's so it's so difficult. I can't imagine being in that situation myself. I'm sure it will be one day. Oh, it must be hard I mean, you're doing so well to, to talk so openly about it. It's amazing. Because um, you probably would have, if you were thinking back, probably wouldn't have imagined you'd be able to help so many that you're helping now. Because on your social channels, although it's food, you do talk openly about mental health. Which yeah, I I c- occasionally I'll pop a post up about my mental health. Um, I try not to put too many posts up because I think the majority of my followers are there for the food. Although I'm not really sure. I'm just lucky that they're there all together. <laughs> There'll always be people that are happy to get a little bit of chat. I mean, mental health impacts us all, and food, we all love our food. So (laughs) I see, and people want to see, they want to see the person behind Behind it. Yes, yeah, I think so as well. I think that's really important. And often I talk about my battle with postnatal anxiety, Mm -hmm. and I get so many messages. I mean, the, the amount of messages that I get is so overwhelming, but it makes me feel so good that I have managed to help people. I mean, I get messages saying that there is, I've had at least 10 messages from different people saying that they didn't actually know they had postnatal anxiety until they read my post, yeah. which is just mind-blowing. So if someone's listening now and they think they might have it, what would you say? Um, I think, first of all, there's not enough information about postnatal anxiety out there so there's lots of information about postnatal depression mm-hmm. but postnatal anxiety is different in the sense that you might feel like for example I'll tell you how I felt with Aria so if um, I was holding Aria and somebody said can I hold her I would think that when I passed her across she was going to fall on the ground and her head was going to smash open into a thousand pieces which sounds completely irrational 
but that was how I felt 24 hours a day. If we walked up the stairs, I thought the stairs were going to collapse and we were going to die. If we went in the car, I thought we'd have a car accident. Mm -hmm. Just lots of irrational thoughts like that. Mm -hmm. And when the midwife comes to do your six-week check, they will ask you things like, are you feeling low? Are you feeling down? Do you feel like you've got the baby blues? But I didn't. I felt fine. I felt happy. Yeah. I just felt paranoid. Yeah, really paranoid. So there's no test to find out if you've got postnatal anxiety. And they don't ask you about postnatal anxiety. So you genuinely just think that you have gone insane. Yeah, yeah. And you're scared to say that because you think your baby will be taken away from you. Yeah. So if you're at home now thinking that you're having these thoughts or, you know, you know somebody who you think's maybe having these thoughts, then... You aren't crazy, I promise. I've been there. Yeah. And it's really important that you try to speak to somebody, if it's your doctor, if it's your partner, if it's your midwife, because postnatal anxiety is 100% a, a, you know, it's a, a medical illness mm-hmm. um, and you do need support to get through it. Yeah. I battled through it without medication because I was scared to tell anybody about it. I got to the point where I was about it was just after I'd had Leah so she was about 18 months and that I didn't tell anyone until then and it was only I knew that it was so severe when I had Leah because I didn't have it with Leah yeah so I I knew where all these feelings that I had with that yeah yeah it's fun I mean anxiety I think it's a really good point though there needs to be more awareness about it Um, I've been sat in discussions with mothers that have had it and you know, from I had and it, it to an extent in the sense that I was more worried that I was going to die and yeah, leave the kids yeah. behind, which is why I initially started the parenting blog before the whole mummy Jojo thing came. Um, it wasn't so much worry about letting people. I was very relaxed as in past Bonnie around because it affects people in different ways. I guess hundred percent it does. But I, what you're saying, it's very easy to take for people to take that personally. Why won't you let me hold your baby? Yes, and I think maybe. people need to remember, because people would come around to me and just assume they could take Bonnie off me all the time. In fairness, I was quite relaxed, but there, there were times I was like, right, can I have my baby now? Um, whereas if someone has got acute postnatal anxiety, they're not even going to let anyone hold the baby. Did no. you not say you didn't want anyone? No, to I, I mean, I really struggled to let anybody hold her. I mean, even Ricardo. Like he would take her off me and I would start to have a panic attack. Right. It was so severe, um, which a lot of people didn't understand. Of course. Um, and that that has caused quite a lot of issues. And as much as I don't have it now, I think it's still there. I think it'll always still be there because of my own anxieties. Okay, so you would probably, for an example, if someone came in and just took over your kitchen and tried to cook the kids, would that make you feel like, oh... Um, I think I think a year ago I would have been really struggled with that but I do think I'm getting better oh. so like for example see if you came around and you brought the kids over mm-hmm. and I said oh I need to pop to the shop for five minutes I'd be okay with that now Yeah. but a year ago no. I couldn't I've even gone to the toilet and left you downstairs with them okay. does, does yeah. that make sense? yeah of course and there'll be so many people here all the time why wouldn't they let me hold them or we just need to judge a little bit less and I, I know it's hard because when feelings come into the mix um, and I know you've experienced that yourself where you felt like people were attacking you almost or they, they didn't take time to get to know. Yeah, I think it's hard because people have to remember that it's not them, they shouldn't take it personally and I think that's 
a big thing, do you know, um, it was okay with my mum holding Aria to an extent, if she was in the room with me, on the sofa next to me, and I was touching her, <laughs> I was fine, yeah, yeah. but Ricardo's mum, um, we have, we got on fine initially when we first met, but me and Ricardo's relationship was on like a super fast train you know we met we got engaged 10 months later we got married 10 months after that already pregnant with Aria um it was very very quick you know we've not been together a long time and I was only 22 and I got pregnant with Aria so still really young um so I think his mum had this idea in her head that we would all be really close happy family she would take Aria often you know, which is lovely in, you know, in, um, well, I don't know what's the word, in, in her head, I'm trying to think, but I know, I know what you you're know saying, what I mean? like, romanticising yeah, about completely. it. completely, it's a lovely idea, however, because of my mental health, that definitely didn't happen, she wanted to be in the delivery room when I had Aya, which for me was just really overwhelming, yeah. I'm not close with my mum, so... To just all of a sudden have this bond with a woman that I didn't really know felt really odd. And I think a lot of people relate to that. Yeah. Because you don't really know this woman. And then all of a sudden she's to be your mother-in-law. And it felt very odd. Um, So she wanted very much to take Aya away and have her at her house. Um, be really hands on, which would be a lot of people's dream. Like, take yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think um, it's a shame in a lot of ways because if I had been someone else, mm-hmm. she would have had that, and she would have had her grandchild with her all the time. Yeah. And a lot of people would have thought that was amazing, yeah. but for me, that was just like hell on earth. Yeah. It was just the worst thing. I just wanted her to go away and get out of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to explain what had happened to me to her to see, her, to see if she could maybe understand. Um, and unfortunately, she just said that because I had been brought up um, not with a normal family mm. and because of things that had happened to me, she kind of wished Ricardo had chosen someone else and that it was too complicated for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she took it really, really, really personally. Mm. She just was was not happy at all and it really impacted our relationship now and she's never looked after either of my children because of that I mean it's so tough and I know so many people comment and and write to me about the in-law relationship and mother-in-law and or just um boyfriend or girlfriend's parents Parents, I've I've seen it all nothing shocks me um had parents want to look into my family history and things that would just be like what are you what yeah, like can you just let your child be an adult yeah. now they're not a baby now um so many scenarios and it, it's hard it, it's a it's a really tricky relationship and I think we all romanticize about you know we're gonna go for lunch and drink wine and tell yeah, completely. it doesn't always work that way and it's hard because he chose you, yeah. you know, as complex as you are, yes. and I am. <laughs> Don't all, know why I did, but... <laughs> we're all called, you're amazing, we're all complex, you know, yeah, we're all com- we've all got issues, um, but he chose you, and uh, it, 
it's it's hard. I mean, I think it would be be different. I think the main thing, I can't remember who said this to me, but it really hit a nerve with me, is that you go from having your family who is, you know, it could be whoever, we all have very different families, but, you know, it could be your, your parents and they've got their children mm-hmm. and then when you get married that those people have to become your extended family yeah you make then your own new family yeah. you know you have your own partner and your own children and the other people they have to become your extended family yeah they're not your little close-knit family anymore yeah. but i think for a lot of people that is really difficult Okay, yeah. for that to happen you know to go through that process and it certainly was for us yeah. I mean I think Ricardo went from living with his mum to living with me in my flat yeah because I'd lived completely by myself since I was 17 so he moved in the second time we met yeah <laughs> and he just lived there wow so that must be difficult for his mum yeah I mean a mother and her son is a strong bond yeah. I, I I'd like to think with Charlie I'll have it all fussed out by then. <laughs> you, have, you have to promise you'll be a lovely mother and wife in the time comes, oh, which you totally be, will. You know me, I'm all about the mojo. I'll try my best. You'll be the best. <laughs> but it's a tricky one. I've seen mothers and their sons, and my mum's always said to me, mothers can be funny with our sons. My mum's the opposite. She's always raised us to be quite independent, so um, I would say she's maybe the opposite. She could... Um, get more involved if she wanted to you know but my mum doesn't want to like broach and and kind of get in the way and stuff I'm like mum you can call us too you know (laughs) you can call your sons as well you don't have to wait for them to call you but it's a complex relationship and the I think the mother-in-law relationship can be quite taboo very very taboo and there'll be a lot of people struggling so um, many a lot of mums struggling to hand their kid their sons over yeah and a lot of wives or partners and mums struggling because they're like he's mine now well, yeah. you know not and you can completely understand it from both sides like it's taken me a while to understand it from both sides and yeah. you know me and my mother-in-law still don't really get on at all it's hard but you're not the only one there's millions that feel yeah, the same completely. way completely. Um, uh, when I feel really bad I always watch that film do you know the one it's an awful film but it always makes me feel better it's What's it called? Monster in Law. Oh, Do you know with Jennifer Lopez? And yeah. I can't remember who the woman is. I don't know if I've seen it, but I want to watch it now. But they just have this awful relationship, and it's quite funny the way it manifests with each other, and they do awful things like try to drug each other, and uh-huh. it's, it just makes it makes me laugh. It makes funny. it a bit more lighthearted. Laughter is the medicine, as Definitely. you say, and it can put a strain on your relationship though. Oh, two yeah. strong women. And uh, we we oh, we've been very close to breaking up a lot of times because of it, um, which is such a shame because we do just adore each other, but it can be very very difficult. And for me, I have to put my mental health first because it's been such a journey. Yeah, of course. Um, I've had to kind of push her right out of my life and yeah. able to carry on really. Yeah. because I need to be there for the girls mm-hmm. so I've had to do that sort of to survive which has really impacted mine and Ricardo's relationship yeah. um, do you think there's a way you know if someone is in a similar situation and there'll be plenty right now who has you know someone's opened up to them about their mental health and they've taken it personally yeah. or they've not reacted the way the person would have liked can you find a way back from that what can you say to someone with who doesn't get... Who doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. 
the thing is, I think sometimes people just can't understand mental health if you've not had mental health issues yourself. It's very difficult to understand where somebody's coming from. So I could see when she was sitting there and I was trying to explain this all to her, she just got angry initially. Did you offer a drink, glass of wine? Brandy? <laughs> just throw the wine at her head. But, <laughs> um, you know, she she just couldn't take it in. You know, she just she just thought I was saying to her, you are never going to get to watch your grandchildren, I hate you. Which right. was not at all the message that I was trying to give. It was more that, please give me time. I need some support, which is uh-huh. what I was trying to say. Uh-huh. But instead, she took it very personally. So I think if, if somebody takes the time to open up to you and tells you things that are so personal, yeah. please try to understand if, if you can. And I know it must, must be really difficult because I can understand now from her point of view. You know, she's sitting there thinking, what on earth have I done wrong? She'd never done anything. You know, she'd, she, she'd been a bit overbathing. Um, but she'd never been horrible to me. Yeah. She, she'd never done anything really horrible at this point. Yeah. So she must have thought, why on earth is this girl saying that I can't have my grandchild? Yeah. So she's hurt. So hurt. Mm-hmm. So, so hurt. And, you know, she went and told everyone that I was crazy and that, you know, I was keeping an eye from her. And that's been difficult as well because it forms other people's opinions of, of me. Yeah. And other people feel exactly the same. They'll have their mother-in-laws telling everybody things about them that aren't true. And it's a toxic relationship. It's, I mean, there's so many toxic relationships out there. And for mental health, it, they say the number one reason for poor mental health is the relationships mm-hmm. um, over money or whatever. And if we can try and nurture our relationships... It's going to really, really help us. But that starts with stripping everything back and being a bit less black and white about things. Now, I know that's hard. Everyone has different thoughts and feelings going on in their head. Everyone has different backgrounds, experiences. But I meet these types that are black and white, this is how it is. And it takes a compromise because it's probably really hard to become more open-minded if you are set wait and you're not like I've spoken to people for example I won't name any names but of the older generation let's say oh no these days we don't know the meaning of hard work or yes. we don't you know kids oh, I don't know I could I could spin up a list but it's black and white someone's fat because they're greedy no, maybe they have issues with food, mm. maybe they... You don't look into the wider picture. They yes. don't. Someone's self-obsessed, someone... You know, these blanket statements yeah. that people mm-hmm. make, and there's so many layers to people. And that was part of the reason I launched this podcast, was to get people thinking, actually, there's a bigger picture here, and to try and understand why someone might be a certain way. Definitely. I think when you listen to your podcast and listen to all of them, you think, oh, I know somebody that that relates to and then it gets you thinking, oh, maybe I've not dealt with that very well. You know, we all are always growing as humans and, you know, we always do things wrong and Mm -hmm. I've read something recently that said, um, if you're not embarrassed of who who you were last year, then you're not growing enough. Oh, really? I like that. Yeah, and I love that. I, I like think it that. was um, the Honest Mum. Oh, I like that. And it, it really stuck with me because 
I think it's really important to just constantly evaluate yourself and kind of grow as, as a person. Yep. Um, and I'm very embarrassed of things I did last year. And I hope I'll be embarrassed of things I did this year and next year because I want to grow as a person. But yeah. there's certain people in life who don't want to do that. They don't want to change. No. And, you know, that's just them. And they're not ever going to change. Do you know what's funny? Because I look back, I was looking back at my Instagram page um just for memories, I'm yeah, yeah. mad. And I was actually thinking, why did I post that? Mm-hmm. Why did I post that? Why did I do that? Some posts are bang on. I'm like, oh, that was a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that just shows how we grow in a year. Completely. Change, um, we make mistakes. We say things we don't mean. Yeah. We And this could be if you're mentally feeling quite stable. Mm-hmm. Um, we When I think back to when I had my first anxiety attack, and I gave a talk about this last week, and I said, look, I had this attack in the most scenic place I've ever been in. That's a that's a picture of like perfect postcard. I should have been happy, um, but I've made mistakes to get me to that place. Um, and I wasn't a very nice person, in the sense not people saying, "Oh, you're so lovely, you're so lovely." But I remember I was at the dick a couple of times. You know, very um, I don't know, just drinking too much and and just a bit obnoxious. It was just brought on by losing the balance and maybe being a bit lonely, a bit misunderstood, mm-hmm. not connecting with people, not feeling like people got me, and listening to the critics. You know, if, I, if I'm just plucking thoughts yeah. Of, yeah. as to why that could be. But people change us. People that sting us and say things that they may, they should really think before they speak. Mm-hmm. But every day I hear something else uh, it sounds like common sense but no so I've had to really start thinking before I speak as yes, well me as well definitely it's hard it is hard but I think it takes a special type of person to say what you're saying and saying that you know I've been a dick and mm-hmm. that I'm trying to grow and trying to change and be a better person mm-hmm. and I, I think those are the best types of people the people mm-hmm. that admit that they have been an arse or mm-hmm. you know I think that's great because nobody is perfect yeah. and it's and it's wanting to change yeah, because growth can be dark and challenging but it can be amazing totally well. amazing I mean the feeling if you could look back on a year and go oh, I've really grown as yeah, a person yeah 100% it's powerful it's so so powerful I mean I look back and think how absolutely horrendous some periods of my life have been oh my days and I just think where I am now and I've got my girls and so unbelievably proud of them and I just feel so incredibly lucky now to be where I am I just want to be the best person that I can be and I'm constantly trying to do that Um, and one of the things would be trying to have a good relationship with my mother-in-law but but there's still time Um, and she never listens to podcasts but (laughs) we hope so I mean you never know relationships can improve um, it takes two to see I think that that is the thing that is really important one thing that I always do say is that if somebody ne- impacts your mental health negatively mm-hmm. I'm very black and white with this aspect of my life is I just cut them out yeah. and it's a protection thing for me yeah. I have to cut them out because I can't cope with it otherwise yeah. and I can't 
newborn as a, as a person. Um, so my friend group now is very small, mm-hmm. but the people that I have in it are just the most amazing people mm-hmm. because other people that have been there in the past have really impacted me negatively. And is that because they didn't understand you? You didn't take time to understand them? Either that or they're just maybe not nice people or we've not, you know, we've maybe not clicked. Um, I used to be friends with a girl who she really didn't like breastfeeding. Which is a very emotive subject, so I won't say too much about it. But I breastfed Leah until she was eighteen months. Yeah. Um, I didn't breastfeed Aria, so I've been both sides. You know, don't have any preference really. But she was just really against breastfeeding. She kept just saying things all the time to me about breastfeeding, and I just thought, you know, I can't cope with this. I just can't. So I had to just cut her out of my life completely because it was really impacting me negatively. Um. So it can just be things like that, and she wasn't a horrible person at all. But it wasn't good for you. It wasn't good for me, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, and I think if somebody's not supporting you and making you feel worthless about yourself, you need to cut them out of your life. However, with mother-in-laws, that's much, much more difficult. Yeah, it's tough, It because you love Ricardo, and... You know, you, mm-hmm. you want to do what's right by him, and it's probably really difficult because they love you both so much, and it's Same. just. But knowing that so many people are in these situations, and I don't know, I guess you just need to. And you'll be mentally in a different place where you are now. It, it It's a shame because you've shared so much, hoping for a, a different reaction, and you've not got the reaction. I think as well, I had got myself into a place where I was quite good mentally at that point. Yeah. Um, I was still young, so I was only 22, but I'd you know, gone through everything I've talked about and I'd got myself into a good place. I had, I had a, a job that I really enjoyed and I was living on my own in a flat that um, my aunt as well, she, she's been a fantastic support and um, I'm very lucky that she bought a property for me to live in when I was 17, so it got me away from everything at home. Um, so I, you know, I, I lived in a really nice flat, and everything was really good. And we had Ariana, was really happy. And then that happened, and it knocked me right, right, right back down again. Yeah. Um, and it's taken me until now to really get out of that. Yeah. And a lot of that's been not having her in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I have to see her, I have a panic attack. It happens every time on the way there. I have a panic attack in the car. Gosh. It's really, really hard. I don't know what we can what we can say to people, I guess. Just try and be patient. Yeah, I think so. I think patience. And if it's really, really impacting you so much that you're really struggling, then it is okay to say, I can't see you. Yeah. You know, and you have to do that for your own health and well-being. I think that's really important. And there's been many occasions where I've said, Ricardo, I can't see her at the moment. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been more understanding more recently about that. Um, it's hard. Well, if you're tuning in and you're struggling with relationships and mental health, know that you're not alone and hopefully saving words of I've been a, a reminder of that. I think you've been amazing today. Very honest, very brave, um, taking me on a quite a journey. Um, I'm glad we recorded it in this room. It's quite looking up at the sky. Not good enough. Just uh, yeah, 
it's brilliant what you're doing now. You've got a lovely page. You're helping so many people in the same Thank scenario. You. So keep doing it. Um, keep talking. Keep surrounding yourself with all these positive people that are helping you. Um, and from the nutritional side, I know you want to work with and do more work with that and learn about foods that can trigger anxiety. Yeah, definitely. Like I think that I would love to. So I'm about to launch a new website and our kitchen is nearly finished it's just been renovated so as soon as that's done i'm going to start filming in the kitchen so we'll be doing a youtube channel and we'll hopefully do some cooking all our recipes are super easy it's not like chefy at all it's just very easy you can make it with your toddler daughter attached to your leg um which i do often (laughs) um and i'd love to learn more about the how food can support you and your mental health, definitely. Yeah, because from an anxiety, we were speaking earlier, I think I've had a bit too much green tea and I started to feel really anxious. But yes, second yeah. stuff, and you read somewhere that... Yeah, I've read that a couple of times, that you've got to be really careful of how much you consume daily because it, it can heighten your anxiety. Yeah, that's funny, because I was always more coffee, but green tea, does green tea have caffeine in it? Not you? 100% sure. Yeah, I need to check that out. might have small doses. I'm not sure. As I said, I'm not a nutritionist, but I've definitely read that it's great for you in, you know, small doses. I think uh-huh. it's just if you have too much of it, and it sounds like that's maybe what's happened. I did that, and then it just triggered the anxiety. Um, and coffee's one, if I have too much. I'm exactly the same with coffee. Red wine. Do you drink alcohol? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I'm okay with alcohol if I don't have too too much. Um, I do notice if I have a night where we're out and I drink lots, my anxiety is worse than it worse than it Um, however, sometimes I think you do just need if you're drink if if you do drink alcohol, you, sometimes you just need to have a really fun night out, don't you? Oh, I love that. I love a good. Fun night out, you can just not be mummy for the night. Yeah, just dance like no one's watching. Yeah, totally. I mean, I do that so brash, <laughs> but I mean, it, sometimes it's nice just to have a blowout. Yeah, I think you need it sometimes. Yeah, and it's a personal thing. So I, I've met people and they don't touch a drop. Yeah, yeah, I know people that don't at all, and it's again a completely personal choice, and that's what they do to support their own mental health which yeah. is really important i think it's balancing it out as well if it was to start to get really out of hand yeah definitely paranoia and anxiety then you need to strip it back but um another thing we were talking about but i'll be interested to see what you come up with with the food um maybe we could do an article on it at some point but um we were t- talking about the moon as well and you said did you hear some stuff about yeah it? i've been hearing lots this week from multiple people both on Instagram and in real life, <laughs> because we still have real life as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, this is real life here. Yeah. So recording at four thousands to tune into. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people are talking about the moon. Yeah. I, I don't know how it affects our mood, but it really, honestly, last night at the book club at Cameron Cannon Street, it was crazy. Everyone was talking about the moon, how it impacts their emotions, their anxiety. People were getting up in the night. Um, I've written an article for the Evening News about the supermoon and uh, it, because my mum, she had said, because there was more hospital admissions that night. But oh, my, really? Yeah, That's really interesting. Really interesting. And my mum, the wise owl, she had said when she was teaching at school, she said, oh, the kids are normally wild when it's a full moon. 
So another thing, if it's a filmer and someone's been a dick, maybe don't take it personally. Just look up in the sky. Just look up in the Check. sky. If it's not PMS, you know, we both struggle with that too since having kids. Mine's got so much worse, and I know you were saying oh, yours can make us a right witch, can't it? Absolutely horrendous. I never struggled with it too bad before I had the girls. And then after I had Aria, it wasn't although I had Aria, and then eight months later I was pregnant with Leah so I didn't really have many periods in the middle but after having Leah and um, when my period came back after breastfeeding oh my goodness it is absolutely horrendous now just horrendous like the pains are so much worse it feels like I'm almost in labour again oh, and like all the effects are really awful now just I just feel like I'm, I completely lose my mind for a good two weeks out of the month it's funny I mean, for me, I find some months I'm an absolute riot. Mm-hmm. Just like, what's going on? I can't do this. And then others I'm fine. It's really, really odd. I think what I would like to do is keep a mood journal. Yeah, that's say, a great idea. Right, what could it be different? Maybe work was more hectic that month, so maybe PMS or PMT worse, or maybe I was sleeping less, or was I drinking more, or what was it eating? Just because I, I know mood journals really help. Yeah, that sounds like it, because it makes you look at it in a holistic way. Yes. Which right. I think is really important instead of just focusing on that one thing. Yes, and then going right. That's, I'm going to do that too, that's a great idea. I'm going to try, we'll see. We'll I'll, forget it. I'll update you all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and music, play the music. Oh, well, music is one of the things that has really helped me through my whole journey is music. It's something that you just gives you that two, three minutes just away and it takes you away into a different place. And reading. Oh, music, music and reading. reading. And cooking. And cooking, <laughs> um, Did we pick a song for today, actually? What's your What's your go-to song and why? Oh, so, great embarrassing. I absolutely love Andrea Pacelli. Oh, man, he's amazing. I absolutely adore him so much. Me and the girls were listening to him before we left today, actually. And Aria shuts her eyes and goes like this oh. when she's listening. I um, love him so much. Just kind of exports me. I think that's why I've chosen an Italian husband. Oh. You just see little bits of Andrea in, in there. What is it about the Italian culture that you love? I, I, I think it's the food yeah. and, the, and the family support that there is. I mean, his dad is just the most amazing man. He is one of a kind. He's hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Such a funny man. And he just kind of scoops me up and oh. you know, for me, like, hello, my darling, I love you. <laughs> He's just oh. so sweet. It's just so, so sweet. And I just, I kind of just love that. I think that's why we got engaged so quickly because, I don't know, it just felt right. Yeah. I just love the Italian. When you know, way. you know. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I want to go marry an Italian. <laughs> just kidding, Hobbs. You're, you're a great guy. You're a great guy. Uh, <laughs> right, which Andrea Pacelli song would you like to sing? Well, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's have a wee look. Oh, Gemma, I have to admit, I love a bit of Andrea Bocelli, and I think this one is a favourite of mine. And the words are very apt after our chat tonight.
Bless you, Gemma. You're a queen. 